Well, good morning, Concord. Listen, I want to start off a little different today. I've really been uh, kind of challenged by the Lord this past week uh, that I don't tell you that I love you enough. So I, that's what I want to do, okay? I'm going to just start off that way. I just want to look at you, all right? So eyeball to eyeball, let me tell you this. I really love you. I really do, man. I, I brag on you. I have that opportunity so often just to be able to talk about how God is using you. And, man, you guys are just such influencers for the kingdom, and I, I love you. And not only that, I want you to know that I, I'm praying for you. Okay, and I've been praying that God would speak directly to your heart through this series of messages because I really do. I have this great desire to help add value to your life. All right, that, that's what I want to do this morning. And uh, we're just going to continue looking through 1 John. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible there, that will be great. 1 John chapter 1. In just a moment, we'll read verse 8, and then we'll go to chapter 2 all the way through verse 2. But I, I want you to really just kind of, you know, answer the question for me this morning. Uh, how did you feel? I mean, how did you feel after hearing James read the letter of that individual uh, who struggled so much with their faith and their assurance of salvation? I mean, I was shocked the first time I saw that letter. The idea that, that, that the person, I mean, they prayed 50 times at least that they would be saved. I mean, they just are always struggling, always in doubt. And he, here's what we know, okay? When you, when you listen to that, you may respond and you may identify with that. You may say, you know what, Levi, that, that really does. That describes me. I, I've done the same exact thing. And even today, I'm still living in that uh, stage of doubt. And then you may be here and say, well, you know, that doesn't uh, describe me. But, man, my heart breaks when I hear stories like that. And I, I really think that was kind of my heart when I read it. I just broke and thinking, man, I, I, when this guy's in doubt, he really is missing out on all that God wants to do in his life and through his life. Kind of gave me a deeper understanding of, of 1 John and really what was happening in John's life. Uh, if you think about it, John is receiving information that those he is writing the letter to are actually living in a state of doubt. And he knows that when they're in doubt that they are missing out on what God really wants to do in them as well as through them and Man, you know, we already know. I mean, he wrote this letter so that they might know that they have eternal life. So not a think so, not a hope so, but a know so salvation. He wanted them to experience assurance of their walk with the Lord. And man, I, I love how he opens it up in First John. And he says, we're writing these things to you, check this out, so that our joy might be made complete. Now, that stands out to me, okay, so, so that our joy might be made complete. It stands out to me so much greater even now. I know I talked about that verse last week, but this week, man, I feel like God's really pressed that down in my heart because here's the deal. When a leader sees those that he is leading get it, it motivates and brings him joy. All right, think about that. When a leader sees that those he or she is leading gets it, it motivates them and gives them a sense of joy in their heart. You know, I thought about an elementary school teacher. Uh, some of you may have taught before or be teaching. And uh, you know what it's like. I mean, so you're trying to teach an elementary school kid how to read. And uh, as you get in there and you're teaching that student and all of a sudden that student you just see it. A light bulb comes on. And not only does a light bulb come on, but in your mind you're thinking, they get it. 
And it's in that time frame that you are so satisfied, so encouraged. And so when I think of John writing his letter, I think that's the heart. That's his motivation. He's saying, man, I don't want them to be in doubt because they're, they're missing out. I want them to know that when they have assurance of their salvation, when they get it, it brings great joy into my own heart. And man, I just love that reality. And that's what I want to see for you. I, I think all of us would agree that as church leaders, uh, that when you get it, it brings us joy. When you're assured of your salvation, we are fired up for you. Matter of fact, every single leader in our fellowship, whether they are on staff or they are leading behind the scenes, man, when they see students, when they see individuals they are investing in, pouring their life into, get it, it brings them joy. And I want you to experience that. So if you're here today and you're doubting, you're not 100% sure that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, this morning I'm praying that there will be a light bulb moment and you would just get it. You would know for sure. I mean, I know that's going to bring us great joy and really complete our joy. So I'm going to give you some tools this morning that will continue to help you discern and assess whether or not you have a genuine relationship with the Lord. And then at the same time, you may be absolutely certain. Well, listen, these are also going to be tools for you. I want to help equip you. I want to add value to you so that you can turn around and minister to others and disciple them and add value to their life, especially when they are in a state of doubt. Now, I've already said it, I think, three times. But when you're in a state of doubt, you will miss out. You miss out on what God wants to do in you as well as what God wants to do through you. Now, we've already looked at a few questions through 1 John. We did that last week, and just to kind of remind you, because what I want to do today is really add two more questions to that list of three that we started. The first question, if a person is not sure of their salvation, I want to ask them, do you have a genuine faith in the authentic Jesus? And I love that question. I sat down this week in my office with a minister from Pakistan. And uh, it was a drop-by visitor, uh, pretty awesome. Uh, I actually brought in, somebody was bringing him to introduce him to me so I could hear kind of what God was doing in his life and through his life. And as he was sharing with me, he was talking about them sharing the gospel in Pakistan. And check this out. Muslims were coming to him after he was preaching saying this, tell us more about that Jesus. Tell us more about him. That's not the Jesus that we grew up learning about. Because remember, listen, they are mostly from an Islamic background. And as a result, they are being taught a redefined Jesus. And so now when this Pakistani brother is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're saying, hey, tell us about that Jesus the one who is God in the flesh, the one who died on the cross for our sin, was buried and resurrected. We want to hear more about that Jesus. And really, that's what we have to do. Whenever someone is doubting their salvation, I first want to start, do you have trust and faith in the authentic biblical Jesus? And then uh, question number two was uh, pretty simple as well. Uh, uh, is my life continually governed by sin? Is my life continually governed by sin? In other words, uh, whenever you become a follower of Jesus, your life changes. Now, I, I want to do a little warning here for you, okay? So everybody kind of lean in and listen closely. Quick warning for you. If you came to know Jesus Christ at an early age in your life, 
And then you begin to listen to the testimony of others who have come to faith in Jesus at a later stage in their life. Your testimonies may sound differently. In other words, I, I remember I used to sit and listen to people share these testimonies about how they, you know, they didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, they lived just rebellious lifestyles. They talk about all of these uh, immoral things that they did, how they were involved in drugs, how this happened, how that happened. And I'm listening to their story, and I'm just gripped by all that they went through. And then they say, but then someone introduced me to Jesus. And overnight, my life radically changed. I dropped all of those things, and man, I've been full on for Jesus ever since. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you begin to compare your testimony of faith in Christ with someone else's testimony. And listen, when I did that, what I discovered was this, because I, I came to know Jesus when I was only seven years old, all right? So if you look at my life before I was seven, I mean, I'm, I'm not like, uh, you know, on drugs, all right? I mean, I sniffed a little glue, but that's beside the point, all right? But what I want you to see is that my life wasn't horrible. So whenever I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I was doing that understanding he was Lord, he died for my sin, and that he was raised again, and I wanted to become a follower of his. And so when I placed my faith in Jesus, there wasn't like this overnight radical change. But there was undoubtedly a change ongoing. And you remember the Bible says, if any man be in Christ... He's a brand new creation. The old has gone and the new is coming. All things are made new. But listen, if you claim to know Jesus and your life has not changed, then you don't know the biblical Jesus, all right? And then the third question that we threw out there last week was very simply, is my participation with other believers increasing? Do I have this innate desire to rally around other people who are followers of Jesus as well and to encourage them and be encouraged by them and to join them in the mission of what Jesus gave us to do, making disciples everywhere? Do I have that passion and that desire? Is it in my life? Man, if those three things are in your life, then you're, you're on the right path. You have a relationship with the Lord. But listen, there's two more questions. That we're going to get this morning. So very quickly, 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. I want you to stand with me out of God's word this morning. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. The scripture says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, then we make him out as a liar and his word is not in us and then chapter 2 verse 1 my little children I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and he is himself the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for those of the whole world man let's pray together and grab those next two questions, all right? Father, in Jesus' name, how I am so thankful that the Word of God speaks clearly to the issue of finding assurance in your salvation. And blessed Jesus, I want to pray this morning as we've gathered together around your Word, as we have rallied together, I ask that the Holy Spirit would place His hand upon every single person who is listening and God I pray that you would open their ears and their heart to receive truth into their lives and God I pray that if there are those who are doubting their salvation 
that today could become that day when they settled that reality in their life. God, I know that I've been asking for you to move this weekend. And God, I place my full trust in the fact that you can do a great work. So speak to hearts, be glorified. And I will just say glory to the Father, glory to the Son, and glory to the Holy Spirit. And that's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. All right, you ready? Let's dive in. Two extra questions. Jot them down on your bulletin there, all right? Question number one. Do my failures cause me to run to God for forgiveness? Or I could kind of put it directly to you. Do your failures cause you to run to God for forgiveness? Now, look with me again at verse 8 in your Bible. The scripture says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Notice the first whole phrase. If we say that we have no sin. Now, all right, let's do a little poll, okay? Who's saying that? I mean, who is saying that they have no sin? All right, so if you are sinless this morning, right? You, you've not committed any sin this past week. And, man, you've just, you're absolutely perfect. Would you do me a favor? I just want you to slip your hand up real high. Uh, Pastor James right now, he's taking a look around. Hey, put your hand up if you're perfect. Uh, all right, see, nobody. So who in the world is saying that they have no sin? Well, believe it or not, John is writing because there were a group who were claiming that they were perfect. You remember the Gnostics? We spoke about them briefly last week. But the Gnostics actually believed that their flesh was evil, but their spirit was perfect. And so whenever this scripture says, if we say that we have no sin, John is pointing a finger right at those people. And he's saying, you're lying. And the truth is not in you. That, that's just not true. For we all stumble. Now, it's amazing how the Gnostics lived. You know, they believed that their flesh was evil and their spirit was perfect. And so they had ways of dealing with their flesh, their physical life. As a matter of fact, they usually dealt with it in two major ways. Uh, some of them would deal with their flesh by saying of their flesh, nothing goes. In other words, they would deprive their flesh. They wouldn't give their flesh food. They wouldn't give their flesh water. Sometimes they would actually beat themselves. It's known as asceticism. It's this idea of treating your body harshly to bring it into submission. So there was a group that was like, nothing goes. All right? But then there was another group, and uh, they were like, wait a minute, anything goes. Anything. Uh, because our spirit is perfect and our flesh is evil, then we're just going to let our flesh do whatever it desires to do. And so they began to fall into all kinds of living that were outside the framework of God's design. It would lead them to indulge their flesh in lust, in immorality, in gluttony, uh, in homosexuality, lesbianism, drunkenness. I mean, you name it. They're like, if it feels good, anything goes. And then if you came to them and you tried to explain truth to them, say, look, 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 you're, you're dead wrong. Uh, you need to understand that you have sinned before a holy God. They would be like, whoa, 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 partner. Who are you talking to about sin? I have never sinned. My spirit is perfect. 
And that's why John says, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then as you tried to explain that even to a Gnostic in those days, they would say, you just don't get it. All right? They would be highbrowed intellectually. You don't get it. All right? you, you, just, you, just not have, you just hadn't attained the intellectualism that I have attained. You've not been let in on the divine secret knowledge. Uh, that's how they would wave off this idea that sin was even in their lives. But what we learn in this text of Scripture, verse 9, John says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I need you to pay attention, all right, because this is pretty huge. There is a trait in the life of a genuine convert that cannot be missed. Those who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ live in a state of perpetual confession of sin before the Lord. In fact, I kind of wrote it for you like this in your notes. Continual confession of our sin before God is a mark of true Christianity. All right, now, think about that word for just a second. Confess. Uh, that word from the Greek New Testament literally means to say the same thing. Now, I don't know if you were like I was when I was growing up. I had a sister. You may have some siblings that you grew up with. Maybe you think back to those days now. Uh, I kind of had this, uh, I don't know, weird pleasure in aggravating the stew out of her. All right? So I looked for every single opportunity I could. And one thing that I enjoyed doing was copycatting her. You know that game, right? Every single thing she said, I just repeat it and in the same tone and in the same way. So as soon as she would say something, I would just repeat her. As soon as she said, I'd repeat. As soon as she said, I'd repeat. I was aggravating the fire out of her. Till she got a little older and she figured out a little trick. As soon as I would start doing copycat with my sister, she would say something like this, Levi is a dork. <laughs> and that kind of always threw me off, right? I, it's like I, I can't repeat that uh, because, yeah, well, that's not true. <laughs> but here we have the reality of what confession means. It means to copy. It means to say the same Thing. In this case, it means to say the exact same thing about our sin that God says. So we identify with how God views our sin and we confess our sin to God. We say back to Him what our sin is, how we have missed the mark, where we were not showing love, where we were not serving others with an unselfish heart. It's pretty wild here as I was studying that word, word studies. is a great book, by the way. I actually said a little more about this word confession. Listen to what it says. Quote, confession includes the believer's hatred of that sin, his sense of guilt because of it, his contrition because of it, and the determination to put it out of his life and never do that thing again. This is what confession of sin means here. So really, a follower of Jesus Christ who, who has a genuine relationship with the Lord, I mean, he is continually confessing his sin before God. That's the mark of a true believer, confession. Uh, God said in Psalm 5, 4 through 6, 
or the psalmist said rather, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells within you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. And the Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. You see, God hates sin. And those who are walking with God find themselves hating sin also. So much that as soon as they commit a sin, they are quick to confess that sin. Matter of fact, I put this in your note. The weightiness of sin is seldom felt in the heart of a person who has not admired the weightiness of God's holiness. The deeper our love for a holy God, the stronger our hatred of sin and willingness to confess it. Think about that, all right? If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, I just love that verse. It just, it just reminds me, you know, as a follower of Jesus, when I place my faith in Jesus, I'm not going to be sinless, all right? I'm not just all of a sudden going to be perfect and walking around and never treating someone wrongly, uh, never thinking inappropriately, never doing something that is outside the framework of God's design. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, I would say as a pastor, man, I sin. But I love this verse. Because I can confess my sin to the Lord. Now, there are some individuals who say uh, that this verse only applies to when we sin against God. That we confess it to Him. In other words, they say, well, if I sin against a brother or sister, or sin against somebody that I work with, or somebody in my family, if I say something harsh or act this way to them, uh, then I don't need to confess it to God, I just need to confess it to them. Well, well listen, I, I would agree, uh, if you have offended your neighbor, you should get that right. But I want you to know this about sin, all right? No matter what sin you commit, it is ultimately against God. I want you to think about David for just a moment. The Bible says that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. After doing that, he actually had Bathsheba's husband uh, put to death. He put him on the front lines of battle, and then he died. And this was all a sin against both Bathsheba as well as Uriah. And in Psalm 51, we read where David, after being pointed at because of his sin, cried out to God in prayer. And listen to what he said. Against you, you, O Lord, only I have sinned and done what was evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So here we see that David saw his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba as a sin against God. And then just the other day, because I'm reading the Bible chronologically this year, I ran across uh, the story of Potiphar's wife encouraging Joseph to come in and to lay with her. She said in Genesis 39 and 7, lie with me. And then Joseph responded, and listen to what he said, because this is wild. He says, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You, you see... Any sin is ultimately a sin against God. Now, why is that? Here's the reason why. Because ultimately, every person that you sin against was created by God. Let me give you 
a good picture of this all right we've got four kids if all of a sudden one day you decided you were going to you know attack my son or my daughter and begin to talk negative about them and uh, uh, i don't know holler at them listen i'm going to take that personal all right i'm going to take because i'm in i, I have a, a relationship with them i i know them I, you'd be like back up bro you shouldn't be talking to them that way all right i know i look intimidating now take it a step further though all right take it a step further god created that person that you've sinned against. You don't think that's personal? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Did you, did you know this? Every sin that you commit is seen as idolatry before God. L- listen, listen to this, Colossians 3, 5. Consider the members of your body dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, and then listen to this quote right here, which amounts to idolatry. That's amazing. Any sin that you commit, any sin that I commit, what we're doing is we're taking that sin and placing it above our desire to please God, to worship Him and to honor Him. So as a result, every sin really is us making an idol and bowing down and that sin telling us what to do. You see, sin in our lives displays a greater love for the pleasure of that sin, even if only for a fleeting moment, than a love for God. And anything placed above God is idolatry. Now, good news, all right? Great news about the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess it, the Bible says he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. Forgive means to let loose. Can't you imagine that, right? Doesn't that what sin does? It, it kind of tangles you up. It, it hinders you from experiencing God's best for your life. So whenever sin is there and you've got it and you're all chained up and then you come before God and you confess that sin, he lets you loose. <laughs> it makes me think of Lazarus, right? Lazarus was called out of the tomb. He'd been in there four days. And he's like, Lazarus, come forward. And Lazarus came hopping out. But remember, he was still bound. And then Jesus said, let him loose. And that's what we do. When we confess our sin, although we are alive and out of the tomb, we have a relationship with the Lord, but we are tied up. Jesus says, let him loose. Untie him. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us when we confess. And then the scripture says he cleanses us. That is, he purifies us. So I want you to think about that, all right? As a follower of Jesus, when you stumble, when you sin, do you run to God for forgiveness? That's the mark of a genuine convert. And this forgiveness isn't talking about forgiveness to get in the kingdom. This forgiveness is talking about the forgiveness that you and I need as followers of Jesus so that our fellowship with God is maintained. You know, here's what I have discovered. You know, I have to sit with a lot of people who doubt their salvation and one-on-one talk to them. And I've discovered oftentimes they doubt their salvation because they have unconfessed sin in their life. And because they have unconfessed sin in their life, their fellowship with God is uh, impeded. So, man, we have to lead them through a time of confession. And when we do that, it's like you can see the chains falling off. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Some of you need that this morning. Some of you are followers of Jesus, but you have unconfessed sin in your life. Listen, 1 John 1, 9 is for you. If you confess it, faithful and just is he. 
to let you loose, to free you. Man, I so want that for your life. Because when you're in fellowship with God and you're abiding in Him, you begin to see how God brings about fruit in your life. What a change. What an awesome experience. And let me say this. A genuine follower of Jesus is in misery when they are out of fellowship with God. So if you can live with sin and it not bother you, there's an issue. Do your failures cause you to run to God for forgiveness? All right, man, i got to hustle up here. Let me give you the second point, all right? Second question. Uh, Do you possess a genuine desire to please the Lord? Do you possess a genuine desire to please the Lord? Now, if I'm sitting in, you know, the congregation and I'm listening to this letter actually read to me, uh, you know, like they did, so they, you know, John would write the letter and somebody would deliver it to the church and they'd all sit down and be like, listening to it, they would hear 1 John 1, 9. I think I would be tempted to say, praise the Lord. If I sin, I can confess. And then, check this out, I might be tempted to start thinking, I guess I can sin. <laughs> I'll just, I mean, I've got this safety net here. Man, I could just fall into sin, and after I do, I'll just confess it. And then if I fall again, I'll just confess it. So, so I would lose this desire for holy living. But John doesn't want them to be this way. And so uh, that's why I love it. Right, right after uh, verses 8, 9, and 10, in chapter 2, verse 1, he comes in with a tender tone. Can't you hear him? My little children. Listen, listen, my little children, come here. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Here he's magnifying the idea. Listen, I know I've told you that there's this net, all right, that when you sin and you confess that sin, that, man, he's faithful just to forgive you and purify you. I know I told you that, but I'm, I'm not writing this so that you'll be free to sin. I'm writing this so that you won't sin. While confession is a trait in a believer's life, I, I want to make sure that You're seeking to live in such a way that honors the Lord. And if you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, that desire is within you because God put it there. God put it there, all right? You didn't muster that up, all right? God puts that desire in your heart by His Spirit. See, when we come to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. And the Spirit of God gives us this desire to live in such a way to give glory to God and to honor Him in every single thing that we say, everything that we do. Man, we just want to honor the Lord. We want to please Him. We don't want to offend Him. The Spirit of God puts that in our life. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 12, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. (laughs) All right? So if you're being led by the Spirit and you've got this desire in your life uh, to please the Lord, to honor Jesus, to live for Him... That is a God-given desire uh, given to you by our helper, the Holy Spirit. And then John moves on, though. All right, he moves on in the verse. All right, did y'all see this? He says, and if anyone sins, check this out. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love this. This verse teaches us that we have an advocate with God the Father. An advocate is one who comes alongside us in our defense. That's what an advocate does. Comes alongside us in our defense. And, and, and you may tell you this because this is pretty slick, right? Um, the advocate that we have with the Father, check it out. Listen, listen. He's in real tight with the Father. <laughs> Why do I say that? It's because it's his son. Our advocate is the Son of God. Now, 
when we read this, we really need to sit back and ask a question because it begs a question. Uh, Why do we need an advocate? Why do we need an advocate before the Father in heaven? I mean, what's the point? Well, the reason we need an advocate is because the Bible says we have an adversary. And the adversary is the devil. And the scripture says in Revelation 12 and 10 that he accuses us before God day and night. Now, I want you to imagine that, all right? It's a courtroom setting. God is the judge. And then you have the devil. And, man, it is a courtroom setting of epic proportions. And when you sin and I sin, the enemy of our soul, uh, the devil, our adversary, he stands up and says, excuse me, I I need to uh, have a little uh, saying here. I've got to share something with the courtroom and with you, uh, oh God. And then he launches right into it, and I can view it in my sanctified imagination. Can't you? I mean, it's pretty amazing. The enemy stands up before God and says, I I need to talk to you about this servant you have named Levi. Uh, Did you know that he said this? Uh, Did you know that he was thinking this? Uh, Do you know what he did? Do you know how he's been acting? And and my adversary, uh, the devil, continues to holler out. And I mean, just ring it before God the Father. All of my sin, every single thing. I mean, I'm not even going to tell you what things I know he said before God before. But he shouts them out. And then he hammers it down and says, he is guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. How can you, oh, holy God, saith the devil, still have a relationship with him. Then it's in that moment, all right, in that moment, that my advocate <laughs> steps up and, <coughs> excuse me, God, uh, excuse me, Father. Um, and as soon as he speaks, the devil cowers down. And he goes back and falls into his decrepit chair. Jesus, my advocate, says all these things that he's been saying are true. Uh, Levi did say that. He did think that. He did do that. He did act that way. They're true. But, Father, I remember over 2,000 years ago on a cross at Calvary, you made me sin on his behalf so that we might be able To make him righteous. Uh, Father, don't you remember this? And then you can kind of imagine that Jesus would just, uh, I don't know, uh, hold out his hands and say, see the scars? Uh, See see my feet here? See the places that were put to death to pay the penalty of Levi's sin? (laughs) And the Father with Tenderness in his eyes, compassion in his voice. He says, I do remember. How could I forget? Levi is my son. Satan, you are a liar. (laughs) What an awesome picture. If we sin as followers of Jesus, we have an advocate. 
before the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous standing up for you, standing up for me. And we don't deserve this, but oh, how gracious God is. Man, get that picture in your mind. He is a gracious God, loving. He's your father. He will never disown his children, no matter what the devil says. Verse 2, the Bible says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now that word, propitiation, is a big word. All right, look at your neighbor and say, that's a big word. Look at him real quick. Tell him, that's a big word. Propitiation. All right, now come back to me. Propitiation. What does that word mean? Well, it simply means an appeasement of wrath. A satisfaction of justice. The resurrected Jesus standing before God is a constant reminder that the Father's just wrath has been satisfied on the cross. And this scripture says he's the propitiation not only for my sins but the sins of the whole world. This means the possibility for the whole world to be saved in Jesus is there. If they place their faith in Christ, oh my goodness, they are forgiven of their sin. That's what it's like, right? Where Jesus calls you out. You are dead in your trespasses and sin like Lazarus. But all of a sudden, Jesus calls you by name and you come hopping out of the tomb. That's a new day. Everything now becomes new. And then he says, unwrap them. And then if you allow yourself to get wrapped up again as a follower of Jesus, you confess it and he unwraps it, all right? You continue to walk in fellowship with him. These are great promises. Man, these are great. Now, I've got to bring you back, all right, because I have been praying for you. I'm, got, again, I'm fixing to knock this sermon out, all right? So eyeball to eyeball right here. I, I've been praying for you. You know why? Because I love you. All right? I really do. I love you. I've been praying for you. I've been hoping that this message would add value to your life and trusting that God would use it. And, and here's what I want to here's what I want to ask you. I want to really just invite you to to think for a second. Have I genuinely come to know Christ? Not I sure hope so. Not I think so. Not Levi. I'm ninety percent sure. Listen. When you sin, do you run to the Father for forgiveness? Do you have this inner desire to please the Lord? So if those things are absent, then I, I need you to nail it down today. All right? I need you to nail it now. And we're gonna we're gonna do an invitation here in just a moment. Man, I've been praying that God would work in your life. And some of you have been doubting and doubting and doubting. And today, listen, needs to become that day that you just put a stake in the ground. You said, no more, I am 100% surrendering myself to Jesus. And, and listen, li- listen, if it looks like I'm pointing at you, it's because I am. You need to make that decision. Today. Today. No longer waiting, no longer saying, well, we'll see what happens. No longer putting it off. Pushing it off the table. The Father... With open arms, compassion in his heart is inviting you to experience him. Come to him, won't you? Nail it down today. 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As the musicians are prepared and begin to play, I want to invite you. If you've not given your life to Jesus or you want to nail that down today, you're tired of all this doubt and all this wandering, I'm going to invite you right now to pray. Just ask the Lord. Say, God, I'm a sinner and I want a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. I cannot get rid of my sin, so I'm trusting Jesus. The one who died for me was buried and resurrected. And today I want to surrender my life to him. Cleanse me. Purify me. Give me a new heart. Change me starting today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. Pastor James is standing in the front right now. Listen, I want to invite you to do something, all right? Listen to me. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. But if you just prayed with me, and you said, man, I just put a stake in the ground today. I, I, just, I just gave my life to Christ. I'm tired of doubting, tired of wondering. I'm nailing it down today. If that's you, would you just look at Pastor James right now? Just look at him. Just look at him. Say, man, if that's you, if you just pray, go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to give you three more seconds, all right? Three, two, one. Now, as you're looking at Pastor James, here's what I want you to know, okay? In a moment, we're going to all stand to our feet and sing. And as Casey begins to sing, I'm going to invite you to just come forward. Just take James by the hand. Man, all he wants to do is pray for you. All he wants to do is encourage you. God may be calling you. you you've been visiting, and you know this is where God has you, all right? You, you may have been visiting Yona, and you know God wants you to plug in and rally around some other people, uh, to get involved in making disciples. Man, I'm going to invite you to come. You may be by yourself. You may be here with your family. Uh, sir, it might be time for you to just step up and lead. But you be obedient. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to stand to our feet and begin to sing. And as we sing, all of you who looked at James, I'm going to invite you to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, how I pray for the fellowship of Concord. And I ask in Christ's name that you would supernaturally work today. Thank you for this opportunity and I thank you for your grace and that's in the name of Jesus that I pray amen